man, I better preach good because that is that baby dedication was good. Man, the baby was so cute. She didn't cry. She's in her little outfit. Gosh, how am I supposed to maintain this? Oh, it's a lot of pressure. Thank you, Lord, for grace. I tell you, it's, it's the holidays. They are in full swing now. And I love to think about the king and his kingdom. The king and his kingdom. That's the series we're doing. We're going to have been studying the word of God in the Old Testament before we spend the last few weeks headed up to Christmas in the new. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, or swipe your apps to Numbers 23. Numbers 23. We're going to learn something new from the Word of God, specifically about this king, the one born a king, and his eternal kingdom. Numbers 23. We're going to read a lot of text. Actually, this is the most ever. 23 was my previous uh, max on verses. This is 24 verses. But you have to understand this story and kind of what's going on here. The children of Israel, we have to understand, spent from Genesis 11 all the way until Numbers 10 is just a year and a half in the Bible, a little over a year actually, at Mount Sinai. A huge portion of the Bible is so focused on the law, on how they're going to take these people who have a slave mentality and get them set free. It's a picture of our salvation. So they've been on Mount Sinai all the way until Numbers 10. And now they're finally, they're headed into the promised land and they're getting ready to head into the promised land. Well, this is the problem. There's a lot of principalities and ungodly people in the promised land. And God's made a decree in His perfect majesty and His perfect justice. They're not staying there. And what God says is right and good and holy, I'll quote a scripture, as for the Lord, His way is perfect. So we find them here in Numbers 23. And all the people that, are in the, that have occupied this land know these children of Israel coming in. They've already defeated uh, the Amalekite king. The Twitters have blown up. Everyone knows they're coming. It's been on Facebook. It's been on the news. Everyone knows. Well, the king there, Balak, is very worried. He's going to lose money and empires and all these different things. So he goes, man, what am I going to do? I hear that these people have want the one true God and nothing can stop them. So he knows of a man named Balaam a non-Israelite. This is so different. Remember, God's starting his kingdom with a group of people. These is, for the first time, he's going to have, he's, he's the eternal king, but he's going to have an earthly kingdom through Israel. And this is all new. And the people of the world, the people in the promised land, they, this is weird for them. They've never, uh, they, they've never seen a group of people. It's always just been Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. It's just been one or two, God's plan. But now it's a kingdom. So he doesn't know what to do. So he finds someone named Balaam. Now, Balaam's an interesting character in that he's not an Israelite, but he can hear from the Lord. He has some kind of relationship to God. We don't know a lot besides that, but he's not the only character like that in the Bible. We have a man named Enoch who, Enoch who walked with God in the Old Testament. So there's always the heart of God in different people, not just Israelites. So what happens is Balak says, okay, I got to do something. I'm going to hire this guy. He's a ringer. He's going to curse them. He's going to speak against them. I'll pay him and give him whatever he needs. And we can stop this onslaught that's going to rock and change my kingdom and this whole Canaan and this whole area. So let's pick up our story right here in Numbers 23. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars 
for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by the burnt offering and I will go and perhaps, maybe, I don't know, the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. Now, Balaam has a fear of the Lord because he's not going to speak anything except what God says. He's got some fear of God in him and he knows the Lord. That's how you know when someone knows God, when they fear him. They have awe, reverence, and respect. That's what this word means. The awe, the reverence, and the respect of God. He says, whatever he says, I'm going to say. Now, Balaam knows if he says something bad, it could be his head on the chopping block. But he's going to say it. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam. And he said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have, altered, I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord said, Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, and all the princes of Moab, and he took up an oracle or a prophecy, and said, probably was gone a little longer than what Balak wanted. Balak's sitting there kicking in the sand, waiting to hear from the Lord. Balaam walks up and speaks the word of the Lord. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. That's what he wants me to do. That's my job. It's what he's paying me for. How shall I curse God? Who, God? Who, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? I can't speak against God. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoned it's itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, a number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let me, my end be like this. The Spirit of the Lord moves on me and says, Look, I just want to be like them. Like them? Balaam, you're rich. You're powerful. You're, people are listening to you. You want to be like those people who just arrived who were in tents? They're just squatters over there. You want to be like them? Verse 11. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, I must. Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, please come with me to another place for which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. Okay, so he says, look, I get it. These people are going to be in here. This is God's plan, but let's do this. I can't change God's plan. Let me see if we can just affect the outskirts. I can't stop this thing. Let me see if I can minimize it. And so it is in our life. The devil cannot touch our salvation or remove us from the wonderful hand of God. Let me see if I can slow something down. Let me see if I can just downsize or minimize this. So he brought him to a field of Zophim, to the top of Pishkah, and built seven altars and offered the bulls and the rams in each one. They're doing it again. 
And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him and there he was standing by the burnt offering and the princes of Moab were there with him. Make sure there's plenty of witnesses. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? Then he took up this oracle or again this prophecy and said, we're going to read this and this will be the point of our text and our sermon. Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen, all the world and all the kingdoms of the world throughout all time and all history. For the first time, you Gentiles, you godless people, will hear the nature and the plans and purposes of the creator of the universe. Before I've spoken to Abraham, I've spoken to Isaac and Jacob, but now you need to all understand who I am, how I function in eternity for your short life. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. The first thing we need to know, he's not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord, his God, is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. The shout of a what? A king. Because this is about the king and his kingdom. It always has been. It always will be. Whether we're dealing with early history of man, whether we're dealing with 2018 or 100 years, it's always about the king and his kingdom. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Oh, what God has done. That was 24 verses of Old Testament. I'm going to need some water now. Oh, good thing it was a new King James and not the King James. Oh, <laughs> you've got some notes there. Let's learn something new from the word of God. Let's reflect on this king and his kingdom. So you're in, you're in his kingdom. All things are his. All things are created by him and for him. And nothing exists that exists that's not his. Whether you even comprehend that or not, it's all about Jesus. And you have this little sliver of time, even if you live a hundred years, in his kingdom. Will you be his subjects? Are you his? Well, let's learn some things here. As we see right here in verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said and will he not do? Or has he not spoken and will he not make good? So what are the words of the Lord to every, to this people group who are, who are, God's coming into their area. He's coming into this Canaan. What is the word of the Lord to people who don't know anything about God, who don't understand who he is? See, this is in many ways like our culture. They've heard of it. They kind of know, but they don't know who he is. The first thing we need to know is, He's not a man that he should lie. Every word out of his mouth is pure, perfect, and absolute truth. So what does that mean? Number one in your notes. There's some truth here. Number one, the king demands belief 
of his decrees. Do you know that God demands belief of his word? He doesn't suggest it or allude to it or hope. The king demands it. This is not bald Pastor Stephen's words. This is the word of God. You're not supposed to laugh at that joke. That was a test and y'all failed it. I'm joking. The king demands it. The king demands that his word be honored and lifted up as truth, authority in my life, in your life, in this world. The king demands belief of his decrees. There's an amazing quote. John Stott, a great English theologian, wrote a great book called The Cross of Christ. If you ever want to know about the, about the cross, read The Cross of Christ. So what he said. It's in your notes there. Unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It is a sin to be deplored. Its sinfulness lies in the fact that it contradicts the word of the one true God and thus attributes falsehood to him. When God steps forward into this land of Canaan by a non-Israelite voice, because everything will be established in the voice of two or three witnesses, not only Israel could say that God is God. Well, of course, they got something to lose. They're God's people. You can't self, you can't um, puff yourself up, right? Someone else has to declare your goodness. So God uses Balaam to step in, who's known in the land, who knows God. And he says, I'm going to tell you, I'll be a witness. The mouth of God has spoken through me. God is not a man that he should lie. The king demands belief of his decrees. Jesus said it so beautifully, so perfectly as he did in John 14, 14, 6. The disciples are struggling with who Jesus is. Thomas, of course, doubting Thomas, saying, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How do we know you? John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. Jesus didn't pull any punches. He didn't at all. He was very clear. Go to Genesis 3.1. What's the first words out of the enemy's mouth, out of Satan's mouth in Genesis 3.1? I like the way the ESV says it. This is the ESV, the English Standard Version. <laughs> Pretty good translation. You can put that up there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, what are the first words recorded in Scripture out of the mouth of the accuser, the adversary, the hater of your soul? What is it? Did God actually say? Did he really say there's the first attack on the person and nature of God. He is someone who cannot be trusted. He is someone who you cannot accept as king. Did God actually say? Did he really say? And so it, here is all of mankind. Here is all of life right here where we have the accuser to do what? To cause doubt about who God is. He is not a man that he should lie. And the king demands belief of his decrees. All right, let's go back to our story here. We're up on a mountainside with 
Balak, Balaam, the kings of the earth, the leaders, and an unbeknownst to them, Israel down in the valley. Does Israel know all this stuff is going on? No. They don't have a clue this stuff is going on. And so as in our life, in our difficult times, or even while we're sleeping or all the things that would come against us, there is a God who's saying, those are mine. Hands off. There is a God pronouncing blessing and not curses. Oh, I like that. Oh, thank you, Lord. Well, I didn't pray enough for my kids. Oh, I struggled in this and that. Oh, that. Even when we didn't know it, there's a God saying, I've blessed. There's no curses that can touch them. Let's keep looking here. Verse 20. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed. I cannot reverse it. He has blessed. There's nothing I can do about it. It's set. It's done. It's in stone. It's not moving. Number two on your notes. The king's blessings are often astonishing. What's the first word? I'll let you write astonishing. That's pretty big. Give you a sec. It's a big word. What's the first word out of Balaam's mouth after he says God is not a man that he should lie? Verse 20. Behold. Whoa, that means stop everything and look at this. I'm as shocked as you are, Balak, but I said, God, I'll speak whatever you tell me to speak. Behold, I'm shocked that this ragtag group of people down in the valley, the hand of God is upon them. They, didn't, they weren't in Egypt. They didn't see it on the news feed. They didn't know. They just kind of heard things about it. So it was real sketchy. They get there and Balaam makes it very clear. Very clear that this blessing is going to be astonishing. It's going to be, blow your mind. And so is every time God moves. Every time God moves in our personal life. Every time God moves in history. And of course, it's the Christmas season. Let's look at this in Luke 1. Balaam is shocked at this. Behold, I can't really even hardly believe this. Behold is a strong word in the Bible, like stop and look. It means stop everything and observe. Luke 1, 18 through 20, we have Zechariah, I'm sorry, Zacharias, which is John the Baptist's father. He was a priest and the high priest. He's getting ready to go into the holy place only once a year, right before. This is prepping for the, the arrival of Jesus, and he's going to meet an archangel Gabriel. This is Luke 1, 18 through 20. And now Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Wait, I'm going to have a kid? There's no way. My life, it's done. It's too late. And an angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. But behold, but listen to me. Behold, You'll be mute and not able to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. You didn't the word of the Lord, which will be fruit, which will be fulfilled in their own time. All throughout the narrative of the, 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 the prep and the birth of Jesus, all throughout, there's a constant theme and it's behold. It's the shepherds, the angels, everyone's like, whoa. I can't believe the king's blessings are so astonishing. His plan is so great of salvation, it's really hard to even fathom. 
because it's so great. The same thing happens to Mary in Luke 2.18. We had this happen to our six-year-old daughter recently. She loves music. She's obsessed with music, and uh, we're not super musical, me nor my wife. But this is, of our four, this is the one that just sings constantly. She knows all the words to the song, even though I don't know them. If I mess them up, she's going to tell me. As soon as we get in the car, every time, Daddy can play the radio, turn the radio on, turn the radio on. Look, I love K-Love as much as the next person. I love, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. But I can only handle so much Christian radio constantly. I'm, I'm not a musician, as I said. Just give me some ESPN. Give me some, some news radio. I'm good. Okay, I'm good. But for her sake, for her sake, I will listen to Caleb all day long, all day long. So we found out Toby Max coming into town. He did last week. So we... We call Caleb and we try to get tickets and get her to win them. And so we didn't do that, so we had to buy them. Of course, you pray for that. God, please, it'd be so great. You know, get the backstage passes and all the things. Oh, please, I'm a pastor, I'm church planning. I'm just, you know, come on, Jesus, throw me a bone. I had to pay for them too. It's all right. God still loves me. So we buy the tickets. Well, my wife is tenacious. So she goes, we're going to figure, we're going to do something more. So she writes the manager of Toby Mac, and she's, she, I mean, it's a sad letter. It should have been on, oh, we're just so poor, and this is, this, oh, I mean, she just didn't even have any clothes, and this and that. This is not true, okay? I left the text. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, she's threatening the mic. We're going to focus. That is not true. We wrote a letter. We said, she's your biggest fan, Ellie, our daughter six. She's your biggest fan. She loves Toby Mac. She loves every song. She knows every song. She just loves it. She, she's music, music, music. So the, the lady who was the manager happened to have a five-year-old daughter. And guess what that daughter's name was? Ellie. They had the same name. So God's grace. So we get backstage passes. Not, not me. I'm not going. It's Megan and, uh, and Ellie. So backstage passes and a meet and greet with Toby Mac. So Megan tells this on a mommy-daughter date to Ellie and she finds a new sound wave in our galaxy somehow. The, her voice goes through the stratosphere, breaks all sound barriers into a squeal. It, it, it's so loud. It's amazing that any of us still have our hearing because we tell her she's got backstage passes. She's going to meet Toby Mac. They actually ended up dancing on the stage for the last song. It was so great. They're dancing around. It was so much fun. Our daughter was astonished. Astonished. It's still the high, the high point of our, her life so far. Now she's only six. It's the highlight of her life. She loves mommy and daddy, but this concert was it. That was just that was just parents, and you guys are parents, most of you, trying to do something nice for our daughter, do something in her wheelhouse that she loves. That's all it was. That's it. Guys, we serve a God, a king, who Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world, who in our sin and our misery, who the children of Israel in their sin and their weakness, enslaved and in bondage, God brought them out. He removed these people out of the promised land. Why? Because the king's plan of salvation is astonishing. 
And every day of our life, especially during Christmas, we should step back and bow our head and say, Oh, King of glory, you are astonishing what you have done. It blows my mind. It's incomprehensible. The great salvation of our God. And when you understand and know Jesus is Savior, that's all you can do is just put up your hand and say, Oh, great are you, God. Amen? Amen. You should be astonished at the salvation of the King, considering our broken, sinful nature, how we deserve nothing, but He gives us all things through Jesus. All right, let's keep going. Okay, I'm going to bring it down a gear. I know it's right after Christmas, Thanksgiving. Oh, the the king's blessings are often astonishing. Let's look at verse 3. Excuse me, verse 21. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, wait, wait. You should read your Bible and read things and go, wait, what? What? Have you seen this picture before? Put up this picture. You know this old picture here. I, that, one's too, that one's too far back. Let me, let me do one more picture. Okay, wait, hold on. Let me read this scripture again. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. Wait a minute. This is the people that were building the golden calf when Moses was on the, on the, the mountain for 40 days. He has not seen, what? This doesn't make any sense unless you read the next statement. The next statement of the king and his kingdom quantifies and helps us understand it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel The Lord, his God, is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. These are sinners. But even in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and his precious blood was spilt, even then, who's with him? The Lord, right? The Lord's with him, right? And if God is in you, though you are a sinner, you are made what? Righteous. Righteous, in right standing. You are made pure from your sins. Is that correct? Why are these people who's worshiping the golden calf, why are they, what? That's not right. No, no, no. It is because the king is with them. Because when the holiness of God looks down upon them, even the king and the grace of God is there. There was even a cloud that covered them. Number three on your notes. The king's presence brings purity. There is nowhere in this book and nowhere in world history you will not find the overwhelming grace of God. You will find it. There is nowhere in my life that I have not, cannot reflect and look and say, oh, the grace of God. It's so amazing. It saved a wretch like me. Listen to what Paul writes to a church in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 6, 9. Corinth was a metropolitan. 
It was known for uh, idolatry and all kind of sexual immorality and impure impurities. They had temple prostitutes, huge. It was, it was a mess. New Orleans, New York, San Francisco, any other, I'm, I'm not a world geography, so any other bad places, smush them all together, okay? We're all sinners saved by grace, so just the, the worst parts of those areas. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither. Now, this is a rap sheet. This is a rap sheet. This is, they're going to be on the, the FBI's top ten list. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drinkers, nor rivals, nor extorters will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, we got it. There is no sin in the holiness of God. And we're all sinners. What are, what are we going to do without Jesus? Oh, but we have him. Look at the next verse. Verse 11. I love this text. Verse 11. And what does it say? Such were some of you. You want to talk about impurity? You want to talk about sin? Paul was so loving, but so direct. All this rap sheet, that's what the church of Corinth was made up of. And so were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Oh, God, it, I can have a rap sheet like this. You have encountered the living God. You've been washed in the blood, and the Spirit of God has sealed you. Oh, I love the freedom that comes in Christ. Is there any place on the planet? Is there anywhere? You talk about the church being judgmental. Judgmental? Absolutely not. It is the opposite of that. It is saying, no, no matter what your rap sheet is, come to the cross of Jesus. Come to the cross of Jesus. And you can say, but some, but some of you were used to be that, but he's washed you. He's washed you. He's washed you. He's washed you. Why? Because the king's presence brings purity. Is there anywhere that your sins can be forgiven? Any philosophy, any ideology, anywhere on this planet, nowhere but the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's keep going here. We're back in our story. All this going on unbeknownst to the people of God. Verse 23. For there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. There is no sorcery, those, there's no, there's, nor any divination against Israel. Do you know in this time and culture, this was an extremely spiritual but highly wicked culture. They didn't have the one true God. That doesn't mean they were a bunch of humanists and a bunch of socialists or communists. They had deep understanding of spiritual things. The problem is it was often demonic and dark. It was saturated in these cultures. In fact, why is Balaam there? He's supposed to be pronouncing a curse. Look, okay, that people is too big. I don't think we can whip them with this army. Get the, incanta get the incantations out. That's what we're going to have to do. That's, this is bigger than us. We're going to have to do something spiritual to, 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 to beat these Israelites. That's the only way. And the best guy we know is Balaam. There's a wonderful truth here. They couldn't touch Israel. 
because God's already proclaimed. They had no power, no authority, nor did any demonic force in all of beneath the earth or in the earth could not touch them. You know why? They were his. They were God's. Hands off. Number four in your notes. Citizens of his kingdom are not overcome by this world. This is a perverse culture. Men, the world wants your purity. Ladies, all of you, it's not men, it's all of us. Wants the, our, our children, the things of this world, the gods of this world. But we have a promise and I sleep well at night. Because I pray over my children. I'm praying that they know Christ at a young age. And I am his and he is mine. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And there is no power on this earth that can overthrow me. As I submit myself to God, the devil flees. Amen? You need to know that because the world's not getting better. It's getting less revival happens. That's in prayer and that's up to God. Citizens of his kingdom are not overcome by this world. Whatever struggle you're dealing with, depression, fear, anxiety, perversion, whatever it is, if you will go to the cross and become a citizen and put, bend your knee to the king, there's nothing in this world that will overcome you. Oh, God is so good. Let me show you what, what this looks like for the people of Israel. Isaiah 43. This is big time talk because the children of Israel are in captivity, are getting ready to go to captivity for their own sin and their own issues, but God is still with them. He's always with us in any bondage. He doesn't forsake us in bondage. That's what Ezra says. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob. This Bible, every word of it, but this is the word of God. It just said it was. Thus says the Lord, not thus says Isaiah. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Wait, this sounds familiar. He does. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. When you pass through the waters, who's there? Oh, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Why? We find our answer in verse 15. Just go down a little bit to verse 15. What does it say in Isaiah 43, 15? I am the Lord the Holy One of Israel, the Creator, the, Hol the Holy One, the Creator of Israel, who? Your King. I'm your King. You are my citizens. I'll take care of everything. I rule. I reign. I'm sovereign over creation. I'm your King. So you don't worry. I like being a citizen of the kingdom. Amen? Oh, be a citizen of the kingdom. You will not be overcome by the world. One more scripture in the New Testament. John. 1 John, excuse me. 1 John 4.4. 4. This is why his words are so important. He uses the word overcome like eight times in this little bitty book. Eight times in just a little few chapters. 1 John 4.4. 4. You are children. You are of God, little children. Not just children, little kids. Now, can little kids do much? My little kids can't do nothing. Okay? They got dressed this morning with help. They can't even feed themselves. If they do, it's just because they got into candy or something and they're eating that all day. 
We're talking about people who are not strong, little children. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Little kids, what? This, this is back to the Old Testament. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Though you look small in your own eyes, though you fear your ability, and I don't have this mental ability, or this emotional strength, or this education, or this discipline, or that, or my eating habits, or this, or my exercise, or I get too angry, too frustrated, too easily, or this, or that. No. It all must submit to the king and say, he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. Look at 1 John 5, 3. For this, is, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God, what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. God, I trust you. I know you. Not some blind faith, but I have encountered you. I know you and I trust you. Who is, who is he who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, why is John's word so important? John was the youngest of the 12 disciples in his late teen years, 18, 19 years old. Of the 12, he was the youngest, and guess who lived the longest? John, well into his 90s. I will listen to someone who has lived and experienced the faithfulness of God for 70 plus years. That guy's got something to say. That's not someone wet behind the ears who, who wrote a Christian jingle and has like been a Christian for nine and a half months. Amen? This is John talking. This is the one who served the Lord. All the disciples are dead. His brother was the first one to die, James. He's gone through the Caesars. Nero has um, burned Jerusalem. The, the, the temple's been destroyed. The pig was already altered on, uh, offered on the altar in AD 70. He's been through it all. He's on the island of Patmos. And he says, I want to tell you something. I know Jesus. I know who he is. And I want to tell you that you little children, no matter how small you feel, you've overcome the world if you have him. I will listen to that guy. Amen? All right. One last point here in numbers, and we'll call it a day. Verse 23. For there is no sorcerer against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. Oh, I like this, a citizen. Now it must be said, not a maybe, not a, hmm, I don't know, Moab princes and Balak, not a we'll see if we can defeat these people, are we not sure who their God is, or we're not sure, not, no, no, no. Now it must be said of Israel, oh, what God has done. Number five on your notes. Let me tell you something about the king. He announces your salvation. Not what Israel did. Not what Moses did. Not what, not what Joshua did. Oh, what who has done? What God has done. I am blessed to be a pastor. And as we did this baby dedication, reflecting on knowing this family for so many years. It's wonderful to have a long-term relationship because 
I've watched God move for the last 25, 30 years. And I know it wasn't Cindy as wonderful and godly of a mother as she is. It wasn't Jason's education as good as it was. No. It wasn't his mental ability or ability with people. Nope. It wasn't because he worked really hard. That matters and it's important. Nope. There's only one thing we can do as he holds his precious little baby. And only one thing you can do in your life. Oh, what God has done. Amen. Let's stand up. This room is full of, oh, what God has done. That's why these people are here. If you're new with us, we have a wonderful congregation. They're, they love God. They serve. The water's probably not even dry on the greeters who are out there running around with umbrellas. They don't do that for me. They love me, but they don't do that for me. They only do that for one person. They do that for their Lord and Savior. Oh, what God has done. Can all of you in your life say, oh, God, oh, what you have done. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to thank him today. The enemy was speaking and desiring curses against you when you didn't even know it down in the valley. Just some fledgling person, country down there in ignorance. But God said, no, those are mine. Oh, what God has done. If you'll serve King Jesus, there's only one statement the world will have for you. They'll have to say, I don't know what's going on, but God must be in their life. Just a few minutes with Jesus. Bow your head and close your eyes. We like to just spend a few minutes with Jesus here. and your Savior? Have you come to the cross? Have you been freed from the bondage of Egypt? That picture of sin? Are you living in His freedom? Before we leave with heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anyone in here and says, I'm not a citizen. I don't know Him. He's not my King. He's not my Lord. Oh, but I'm so tired of the world. Oh, but there's no redemption and no remedy for sin except the blood of Jesus Christ. And oh, how I owe him everything. The air I'm breathing now is his. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, before we leave, you can. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And you'll be a citizen of the King and his kingdom. Anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to raise your hand. Is there anyone like that?
close our service, I'm going to read one last scripture. See, it's the king who pronounces your salvation. You just come to him. You don't get pronounced yourself clean, righteous, or holy. It's not in your or any human's ability or authority. Only the God of the universe can do that. Matthew 10. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Your job is to confess Jesus is Lord and Savior. And it is his job to pronounce you righteous and holy through his blood alone. Let's pray as we close. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for precious families and friends. Oh, you're so good. Lord, we come to the cross of Jesus, which is every entrance to heaven. There is no other one. We come to the cross of Jesus because it's the only road to citizenship. We dedicate ourselves afresh and anew to you, King Jesus. We love you. You died for us. You are pronouncing blessing when we didn't even know it. Oh, how great you are. We give you our lives joyously, joyously, happily. We will serve you, King Jesus, all the days of our life. We can never repay you for so great a salvation. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Now give him praise and give him glory. God bless you. Have a great day.